You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to an exciting new week here at the Conservative Conscience, your only source of independent conservative news and views. And yes, it is a new week. We are here for the full week after taking off most of last week. I hope you guys enjoyed your extended holiday weekend. Uh, celebrating the 4th of July, resurgence of patriotism. Got a lot of good feedback from Friday's show. Uh, Bookmark that as a classic. Lots of good historical information there. But today we're going to return to the news of the day. It actually is very quiet today for once, which it used to be like this all the time. I'm just telling you, when I was uh, covering Congress back in the early days, the summer was really... It was really lighter news, especially in August, but now there's never, ever a minute's downtime. Just the world is so quick and everything. But today is quiet with the holiday weekend, people coming back. Nothing really big that has blown up today, which which is good. It gives me more time to think and deal with what's already on our plate. Because here at the conservative conscience, we're always busy because there's always a lot to sift through. There's always a lot of issues for which we need leadership. We need uh, strategies. We need information. And that's really the thing. The president is like a man on the field where you have people in the stands that are saying, hey, throw the ball. There's a man open down the field. Do it. Do it. And no, I'm not going to give you soccer analogies. (laughs) I refuse to talk about soccer. So we're going to give you real football analogies. And, you know, you're like, man, aren't you? You're dumb. Why aren't you making the play? Well, look, it is what it is. The president is who he is. You know, picture in in the helmet he has on the electronic system, the coach being his lawyers in his ear telling him stupid stuff. But he'll listen if we scream over it. But if we don't scream over it, he'll do stupid stuff. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, again, there's a, there's a flash flooding everywhere here. Um, I'm actually better off in Northern Maryland than uh, our D.C. office, which is just, it's it's wild. I mean, Washington's not used to this type of flooding. Washington, nor- Northern Virginia, uh, Western Maryland, it's really bad out there. So, um I don't think I'm going to lose power here, uh, which is why I'm glad I didn't go into the D.C. office today to record. But that's adding to some of the quiet uh, nature of today's news cycle. But today I want to talk about in general, kind of going over some of the things we've already said with some new information on why Trump has everything to lose and nothing to gain by continuing to allow the border invasion to continue, to continue to bring these people in rather than stopping them at the line of of scrimmage and turning them back. Everything to lose and nothing to gain. I think back, today's July 8th, exactly five years ago today, 
July 8th, 2014. If you remember July, that actually was a busy summer for me covering Congress because you had the UAC crisis. The first wave of Central American teens came over June, July, accelerated in August, and then it was they started deporting people and it stopped. Just a couple months and boom, it was taken care of. At the time, we thought it was insane. The president tweeted on July 8th, 2014, The immigration crisis is a horrible mess, made worse by an incompetent president who doesn't have a clue. We need leadership fast, fast, he wrote in all caps, and an exclamation mark to boot. Well, here we are, exactly five years later, folks. And if you look at the border numbers of July 2014, they were at 48,819. They've released the preliminary numbers leaked to the media. It's still not officially on the website for June of fiscal year 2019. And based on the reports we're getting, it appears that 95,000 were caught. And I, I, I believe that means between the port, port, ports of entry. I'm sure if you include the inadmissibles, meaning those that come without proper documentation at the ports of entry, it probably was over 100,000, just like in March and April. So the numbers are tracking right around the March-April levels. But they're officially 30% off the May peak. And it's being reported, oh, it's plummeted, his deal with AMLO worked, oh, this is great. And I'm thinking, are you freaking kidding me? Who said May was the baseline and not an aberration? You know, when you have an insane bull market and it goes to the highest level, the stock market that, that is goes to the highest level, and then you it pulls back the next day, it's kind of a correction, but the baseline is still record high. That's where we are. There's no proof that anything they did worked. Now, it could be some of the photo ops did work to a certain extent. It's still hard to tell without you know another month or two of uh, data on the trajectory. But folks, if we're going to remain silent and be placated and pacified and mollified into submission that this is now the new normal, that we're okay with a level that is beyond the level of what CBP said in March was emergency levels. They called that past the breaking point. And then it went up even more in May, and now it went back to where it was when we said it was, you know, just unbelievable levels. They're reporting roughly 57,000 family units. That's more than in March, about the same as April. Again, we had, I don't have the numbers offhand, but I'm sure it was well under 10,000 family units when Trump made that tweet. And a total of 48,000. We are double that level. Probably a little bit more if you include at the port, ports of entry. More than double that level. We're almost triple the level a year prior when the president said, I believe it was June 16th of 2015, came down that escalator at Trump Tower and he announced his bid for the presidency. And he said that America had become a dumping ground. We are three times higher that level higher than that level. 
are we going to allow this to become the new normal? Well, it's up to us. It is all up to us. So you're going to hear this. I mean, it could be today or tomorrow, any minute. They could come out with the official data, but that's basically where the data is for June. Oh, and they're going to celebrate it. Let me tell you, it's mainly, remember, last year from May to June, the numbers went down 18%, even though in general the numbers were going up because of the weather. So most of it is either because of the weather or because it's just May was just insane. It just, you don't, you literally don't have enough people, even if you don't have any enforcement, even if you have an open border, you know, there's just a limit to how many will come in a given month. That month happened to have a lot of very large groups that came in at once. So we, we no matter what Trump did or didn't do with AMLO cutting that deal with him, we're never going to necessarily have that level every month. Now, it could be because of some of even the cosmetic enforcement actions, it did dissuade some people. We don't have really a good way of knowing that, but let's just say it dissuaded 5-10%. It's responsible, let's just say, for maybe 30-40% of the decrease from May. Let's just say that for a moment. But I got news for you folks. There's tons of news in Spanish language media of CDN cartel and Tamaulipas now attacking this National Guard that AMLO sent out there. So I warned you guys that if it would start to, to really have an effect, the cartels are not going to allow that to happen. You can't continue the executive branch DHS executive amnesty and the judicial amnesty. By the way, Oh, we should be thankful the Supreme Court is taking up the DACA case. They just put it on the oral argument schedule, November 12th. Yes, so now we could wait to, to see if we can get rid of Obama's amnesty, which the Trump administration clearly wants to keep. But anyway, if we're going to continue that and just rely on AMLO to enforce our border for us, you're never, I mean, Again, you could dissuade a couple of caravans here and there, but we're never going to get back to the Obama levels that Trump called unacceptable. That's the perspective I want to bring you back to. So you don't, you know, join with the Teletubbies saying, Ooh, so nice, Mr. President. No, Mr. President. You need to secure the border from our end. He can't and won't deal with the cartels anyway. By the way, I mean, maybe we'll get to this later this week, but there's also a lot of news in the Spanish language media about how DEA is all ticked off that AMLO has no cooperation in counter-cartel activities. He can't do it. He won't do it. He's a leftist. He's not a hero. Only we can do it. Again, the questions that need to be asked of the president. Why have you not designated the cartels as terrorists? As a result, why have you not beefed up the military at the border to act more aggressively to counter the cartels? Only they could do it, not the Mexicans. You'll have a civil war and the cartels will win. Why has there been no 1182F shutoff? And for goodness sakes, 
Why is McAleenan still the acting DHS secretary? I just don't get it. This whole thing makes no sense. But let's go through each of these ideas. So the shutoff. So as you guys well know, just to review, the Supreme Court in 1993, Sale v. Haitian Immigrant Center, said that the president has the power to shut off all migration, and that includes asylum. And that case was quoted by John Roberts in his majority opinion in Trump v. Hawaii last year. So don't let anyone tell you, oh, asylum is different. And again, most of them aren't even expressing asylum anyway. That's a big lie. They're directly saying they're coming for work or for medical attention and things like that, which, by the way, themselves make them inadmissible under other parts of 1182, even without subsection F, because they're a public charge or a health concern. But that's a different story. But anyway, in 1992, began under President George H.W. Bush, the president made Haitians inadmissible and ordered the Coast Guard to interdict them. They were not allowed in, even though there was a regime change, so there was more of a legitimate concern for asylum. They were taken to Guantanamo Bay, yes. Talk about treatment of migrants. They were taken to Guantanamo Bay. And ironically, a lot of them, some of them were eventually brought in. Their their claims were approved. But nonetheless, the understanding was we cannot have them come directly to America. They were shut off. And um, that was Executive Order 12807. It was issued, uh, what, what do you call it, in the middle of 1992. I forget the exact month. My understanding, a friend of mine sent this to me, this point. That order is May 24th, 1992. That order has never been rescinded. So the irony of all ironies is that we actually had, Border Patrol announced on Friday, a thousand Haitians came to our border within the last few weeks. You know, they've been coming the last couple months, but a thousand in the last few weeks. They're inadmissible. So, number one, as we noted, you could easily, given that most of them are coming over an area where we have water dividing. Now, it's not the Caribbean Sea. It's narrow, but it's still water. You could have boats there, constantly there, and you hold the line and push them back. So that for sure according to everyone's dumb sensibilities we should be doing. No doubt about it. But as I noted before, it's not some sort of wet foot, dry foot gain. Oh, but if they happen to get on your soil, there's nothing you can do about it. That is a status we gave executively, by the way, to the Cubans and Obama in his final days in office, literally final days in January 2017, rescinded that. There's no such status for anyone else. You can't unilaterally assert jurisdiction unless we give it to you, which we gave to the Cubans, we gave to no one else. So, you know, because some people want to say, oh, Daniel, well, that was just because they were coming through the sea, so we didn't let them land, but these guys are coming over, there's nothing we can do. It's not true. So first of all, we are turning people back. We're turning them back at ports of entry. We saw this on Friday 
what my article on Friday, I'll link to in show notes, that on the international bridge in Hidalgo, that's Hidalgo City in Hidalgo County, right at the border over Reynosa, that Hidalgo International Bridge, they set up a checkpoint halfway on at the international territory, you know, middle of the bridge to turn them back. And they do it between the ports of entry sometimes. There's no reason we can't have CBP, and if they don't have enough resources, then that's what you use the military for, to have boats constantly there for three weeks. Right? You're not going to have to do it forever. You do it, you, sh- you enforce the shutoff, and you just don't allow anything in. If a certain amount gets in, they get in, but most won't. But again, so that, that's a baseline. But what I'm telling you is legally it's not true, even if they do get in. A 2003 Second Circuit CCVINS interpretation of the 1993 sale case of the Supreme Court said very clearly that this applies even if you get on our soil. This was a guy on our soil for a long time. Here's the backstory. January 14th, 1998, President Clinton issued a one-page order invoking 212F and 215A, 212F of the INA, that's 1182F in, in U.S. code, to shut down all immigration from Sierra Leone until the military coup agreed to reinstall the democratically elected government. Okay, so you see, the president did a complete shutoff of immigration from a country over some stupid coup that we probably had no interest in even dealing with. Certainly didn't affect America, but he did it. So anyway, what happened was, this guy who was a Sierra Leone national somehow got into the country, and we got a hold of him. In 2003, we were going to deport him. And the guy said, no, 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 I'm claiming asylum. I'm scared. They're going to hurt me if I go back. So, remember, he was on our soil for months, if not years, this guy. And the Second Circuit noted that he could not have lawfully entered the country at the time because at the time he entered, the president, under delegated, and I would argue also inherent, executive authority, Made him inadmissible. Well, what do you mean, Daniel? He's on our soil. It doesn't matter. It's not a physical thing. The courts have said for years, it's as if you are not on our soil, period. You are not on our soil. There's nothing to talk about. You can't unilaterally assert jurisdiction. I've said this a number of times. U.S. v. Jutoy. In 1905, the petitioner, although physically within our boundaries, is to be regarded as if he had been stopped at the limit of our jurisdiction and kept there while his right to enter was was under debate. 1895, Lem Moon Singh v. U.S., the decisions of executive or administration officials acting within their powers expressly conferred by Congress are due process of law. So that's the thing. In this case... For sure, the guy couldn't have entered because it wasn't even under debate. It, it, it was definitively an inadmissible. Done. That's it. There's nothing more to talk about. Open and shut case. CRS, Congressional Research Service, states, quote, collectively, 
sale. That's the Supreme Court case. And these other decisions, there's a couple of lower court cases, one of them being CSA, suggest that Section 212F, that's 1182F in code, gives the executive significant, significant power to bar or impose conditions upon the entry of aliens on our shores seeking admission or on the threshold of initial entry. Now, that's the point. You're on the threshold. You are never lawfully permitted to land. See, look, it would be a different story if, let's say, I don't know, let's say someone was already allowed to land, He and he did, and then afterwards, the president issued an 1182F shutoff after he's already here. So then, that's a deportation. That's not considered an, an initial entry. But in terms of the new people coming in, if you happen to sneak on our soil after he invokes that, you're inadmissible. And you're turned back. What does the president have to lose? Every day he does this, he risks the worst of all. The you know His base gets upset that we're being flooded by illegals. The country gets destroyed by drugs, crimes, gangs, crime, um, public charge, diseases, you name it. But also, he's getting hit with the treatment of them even while he's doing catch and release. The best thing is not to let them in so you don't have to deal with this problem. Look at the polling. There's a new Harvard-Harris polling. Very important poll, by the way. Very, very important poll that I want to highlight for you guys. First of all, they note that um, 42% rank immigration as the most important issue facing the country. The most important issue. That tops healthcare, which again is number two. And you would think Republicans would be on to that, but that's a different story. We might talk about that today from the court perspective if we have time. Um, on Tuesday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is hearing the case on the constitutionality of Obamacare. But um, that's the first thing. Now, they they then go and ask about should should we do mass mass deportations? So it's kind of a loaded question, and it's the worst way you could ever ask one of these type of questions. I mean, the worst way, because it just so distorts the whole point. You you would ask, should we enforce current law? So instead, their question is, should the administration go ahead with mass roundups and deportation? So that doesn't sound very nice, and even then... It's actually 5149, yes. So, um, and that's exactly where it is with independents. Independent voters also, 5149. Even when you phrase it like that. But there was a more important question that was asked, which is more relevant to what we're talking about today. Because that that connotes just a mass roundup of people here many years or whatever. Not not even here recently. But then they ask a question 
and it's 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 a very straight up question here. Very good. This is a good question. The way they asked it: Should people with questionable asylum claims be let into the United States for years until their case comes up, or should they immediately be turned back to Mexico? That's literally what we're talking about here. Should they be immediately turned back? And I would argue even this question distorts it because they say questionable asylum claims. That's not even what's happening now. The overwhelming majority aren't asserting even a questionable claim. They're just coming with a kid and catch and release. They're not asserting anything. So what's the result? 38% say they should be let in. 62% say should be immediately turned back, including 64% of independents. And what is this? Can't read it here. Is it 63% of self-described moderates? Even 45% of Hillary voters. Okay, I mean, Mr. President, come on. Do it. Jeez. Now, to a certain extent, they have the return to Mexico policy, which is this half-baked thing, and they have ramped it up, but it's still, it's not enough. Um, so there we go. I mean, everyone likes polling data. I mean, this is what I don't get. You're never going to get better polling on the issue than you have now. I, I, I just don't get it. Why? Why? I don't understand it. Why would you not take a win-win? Meaning, you're going to have worse problems if you leave them in. Well, do you think they should live in terrible conditions? Well, people will say no. But if you just say very simply, should we turn them back? This is the problem. The administration doesn't understand that the average American understands sovereignty. You know, I was, uh, yesterday, some, as some of you know, I was invited on Fox and Friends. Uh, it was it was a very short three minute hit, you know. You spend your whole morning going down there, going down to D.C. And uh, look, you know, obviously I haven't changed my view of Fox. I'm not going to start kissing up to them because they invited me. So in case any of you any of you thought I might change, I'm not. Um, but like any other Republican oriented organization, you have good people there and a couple of good producers, and I think they appreciate the work we've done. And they realize they can no longer ignore our work if you're going to report on immigration. You got to come here for that. So they're starting to book some of our guests on their show. So I don't know if they didn't get the memo that I'm kind of banned from there. And we'll see what happens in the future. But look, any any opportunity to reach a broader audience will we'll take that. And what was interesting is on the way down... So they they send you a driver to to bring you down. They they contract with this company. And this guy was a legal immigrant. He came when he was maybe 13 years old. Lives in Northern Virginia. And he told me that he just couldn't understand why why in the world we care so much and spend so much on the treatment of the migrants. Like, why should we spend anything on them? Like, I don't understand. Isn't this for America? 
you know, and he on some levels would be called a person of color in the um, intersectionality Olympics. And he's an immigrant. I mean, he's now a naturalized citizen. And it, it was like, it was obvious to him, like, why are we doing this? And somehow Republicans and, and Congress and Republican-oriented media and the Trump administration, lawyers, DHS officials, they feel like they need to tiptoe around this. <laughs> Asserting sovereignty is a supermajority issue. And this guy wasn't a right-winger. I mean, he told me, like, yeah, I always vote for the person. I don't vote for the party. And and he he really, to me, reflected where I think a lot of people are, immigrant or non-immigrant, just where a lot of people in the country are. They don't think about things that carefully, aren't that consistent. Sometimes they'll get roped into the left-wing narrative. Sometimes they won't. But everything I was telling him was just really resonated. We talked about healthcare, ethanol, cafe standards, um, and, and it really made sense to him. He didn't believe in welfare. He believed in hard work. Most people are like that. But, you know, if you don't give over that narrative and you allow yourself to be driven by the narrative of the media, then, yeah, I mean, you're going to lose people like that. and they'll, they'll needlessly vote Democrat. Just an interesting experience. You know, I, w- I was getting ready to just work off my phone, headed down, and... um. You know, I said, hey, good morning. How are you? It was really early in the morning. I was half asleep. And he just started chatting. And I said to myself, wow, you know what? Rather than being a zombie on my phone like we all are nowadays, I actually have a real human relationship with someone. And, you know, we talked all the way down and all the way back up again. And, you know, the ride went by, went by so quickly because we, we really enjoyed each other's company. So it was, uh, it was a good good experience. And I know he certainly appreciated it as well. but. You know, often I'm I'm in my own bubble, just so focused on this at a professional level. You got to realize what is the average person seeing. And you know, Tim, I was like, yeah, I mean, why, why illegal is illegal? Why let them in? I, I don't I don't understand. It's that simple. They're twisting themselves up into a pretzel with all this stuff, and then they get even more blowback. They could have done this a year ago. Still isn't doing it. Still isn't firing McAleenan. By the way, just another point on Fox News. So you might have seen Trump over the weekend was bashing Fox, that they're hiring a bunch of liberals. Well, yeah, Mr. President. I mean, now you kind of realize you put all your eggs in that basket. So you see the president starting to get frustrated with them. He's open to new voices. We got to get our voices in his ear. But if we don't, he's going to drift. You know, he endorsed Tillis. He endorsed McSally in Arizona. The only people he goes after are people with more of a libertarian conservative voting record. Now there's news out there in the Louisville uh, Courier-Journal that some Republicans are trying to recruit against Thomas Massey. Now, Massey seems to deny that. I, I have a text into him trying to see if that's true. But, um, yeah. We have no leadership. Again, the president has four tools, executive actions inherent ex- you know that are inherent executive authority, the veto pen, threatening budget bills, the bully pulpit, and really there's a fourth, which is primaries. He's not doing any of them. 
It's talk loudly and don't even pick up the stick. And then all the Teletubbies go, yay, Mr. President. But really, we're the biggest cheerleaders for the president because we're trying to get him to win. Win on policy, win politically. And I know a lot of you in the audience appreciate that. You're sick of this false dichotomy of either the Teletubbies for the president or or the Never Trumpers, you know, just focusing on, you know, oh, the president is. You want consistent principled leadership on the issues. That's what we need in conservative, you know, policy and media. So there's that issue. President needs to get on the playing field. And and look. It's July already. This is prime time because Congress is going to be out in August. This is really when the president today needs to start issuing a veto threat for the September budget bill and say, I don't want to hear about a government shutdown. There's no greater shutdown than our border patrol is shut down. ICE is shut down. What's going on at our border is appalling. It's got to stop. Here are my baseline demands in the budget. I want this for ICE funding. I want this for Border Patrol and the military and the, and the wall. Throw in Flores. Again, I don't believe he needs any policy change, but you know they all believe they do. So throw in Flores, throw in a couple things. And that's, that's where you start your negotiations from. Start it now. Don't wait till the last minute. And say you will veto the bill and, and get out ahead of the government shutdown right away and say, our government is shut down right now if we have a border where 50 people from 50 countries could just come here. Bully pulpit. Leverage veto threat. And then again, concurrently get rid of DACA. Concurrently do an 1182F shutoff. Concurrently designate the cartels as terrorists. Beef up the military presence. Do what you can, and then that will leverage them further. Don't beg them. Start the deportations. Why haven't they started? The two-week deadline is over. That's another thing that hasn't been done yet. And then McAleenan. I understand a lot of people are going to say, look, Daniel, there's a lot of schmucky Republicans in the Senate. It's very hard for him to confirm anyone now. And that's why he's scared to have yet another DH secretary go. But you can't have a fifth columnist there. He needs to get rid of him. And here's what the president needs to do about that. The president needs to call on Mitch McConnell and say, look, hey, buddy, you don't pass any good legislation anyway. All you do is have them in there to confirm nominees. Make the Democrats stay through the August recess. So what I would do is have permanent nominees, so permanently nominate Mark Morgan for CBP, permanently nominate your ICE guy, permanently nominate Ken Cuccinelli at USCIS, and permanently nominate, let's say, a guy like Stephen McGraw of Texas DPS for DHS secretary. Or Homan or whatever. We could talk about that a different day. Do it now and then threaten the Democrats with August recess. That's the way to get them confirmed. A lot of advice there. We we uh, jammed into those five minutes, but you know, no one else is going to say this. Again, I want to say on the on the Haitian ban, 
on the 1182F shutoff, even for asylum, that was upheld eight to one by the Supreme Court in 1993. Do you know who the plaintiff was, the defendant was in that case, who won the case? The Attorney General of the United States. Well, it was originally 1992. Do you know who his name was? William Barr. (laughs) He's familiar with this more than anyone. And you know what? There's there's another thing going on. There's another thing. Do you remember the Morton memos? A prelude to DACA amnesty in 2010, 2011. Um, John Morton, who was Obama's ICE director at the time, issued a bunch of directives really limiting enforcement in certain ways. Do you know I found out with the help of a friend who was doing research for me on this. You know who you are, by the way. <laughs> he's, a, he's a listener to the show. Um, some of them haven't been rescinded yet. I don't get it. And they weren't even, I mean, there were nothing but directives, memorandums. They weren't even official regulatory changes. But they have not been rescinded yet. I can't figure it out. For the life of me. Um, you know, and obviously DACA itself is the biggest one. We know that that they're not they're not gonna do that. But there was this whole order about not picking people up at sensitive locations. You know, you you now have in Massachusetts a federal judge saying, Oh, you can't pick them up at courts. Well, I mean, ICE kind of started that by saying they're not gonna I mean, this is under Morton. They're not going to pick people up at sensitive locations. Now, look, at obviously you want to balance certain things. You know, all things equal are going to rip people out at a funeral. But you don't want to create ironclad policies that don't balance national security and national interests where they, you know, they could become sanctuaries. So this was issued at um, uh, on October 24th, 2011. If you want to look it up, it's entitled Enforcement Actions at or Focused on Sensitive Locations, Policy Number 10029.2. And it basically said that they can, you know, go make arrests or conduct interviews, searches, immigra- even immigration enforcement surveillance at schools, hospitals, churches, funerals, weddings public religious ceremonies, a site during the occurrence of a public demonstration such as a march, a rally, or parade. So, I mean, you could have like a legal alien riot and somehow what? They have a right to protest when they don't have a right to even be here. And I mean, the problem is as long as these policies are in place, they're going to create new judicial mandates. There's no reason for that. There really isn't. So I don't know why that is still there. It's a mystery to me. But, um, you know, I'm going to have to make some calls about that. But this is the problem when we don't have people calling the plays. It's just dumb and pathetic. So that's where we are with that. That needs to change. Now, there's another important point of leverage the president has 
that I wanted to talk about today, and that's the refugee cap. So isn't it a simple proposition for the president to stand before the American people and say, look, if we're bringing in a million people from our border because of the perceived quasi-bogus asylum business, so then there's no reason we should add to ourselves and electively bring in people through the refugee program. You can't double dip. So as you all know, since 1980, we've been bringing in about 70,000 refugees a year. And again, most of these people, it's, it's just straight up bringing in third world people. It's not, I've said this all the time, the, the idea of refugees is an antiquated idea. It doesn't apply to most of these people. It's either just generally third world people or a lot of Islamic people engaged in civil wars where it's not systematic persecution. It's, it's two sides against each other's and they're a security risk to us. Or it's just literally an industry of the refugee resettlement contractors creating a job for themselves. And look, the only people that really were persecuted that certainly would have um, qualified are like the Yazidis, but they didn't even want to come. They really didn't want to come. That's the thing. The way to do it is you resettle them close to where they are. That's really what should be done nowadays. There's no reason for it. But anyway, Obama bumped it up to 110,000, really flooded the zone, Syrian refugees. To Trump's credit, he lowered the cap. So the first fiscal year that he controlled wasn't, it wasn't until later in the year, it was September of 2017, that was fiscal year 2018, he set the cap at 45,000. And then the next year, FY 2019, which is this year, he set it at 30,000. And the truth be told, we, to his credit, he didn't even meet the cap and didn't even bring in that many people. Only 22,491 were brought in in FY 2018. And so far this year, 21,604 have been brought in. So what is it? We have another you know, two and two-thirds months left. It will likely be a little bit more than last year, I'm assuming. But it's very likely we're not going to reach even the 30,000 cap. But again, why should we bring in anything? So what the president needs to announce tomorrow is I'm setting the refugee cap to zero. So basically, in addition to the fact that the president could invoke 1182F to just shut off any immigration, there's something more here specifically within the refugee statute, even without 1182F, the president completely sets the cap. And this hurt us under Obama because Obama was able to raise the cap. But there's no reason why Trump can't set the cap at zero. Or if he has a sense of humor, set it at five or seven or something. There's two reasons he he should do that. Number one is, well, if you want to remember, remember the same type of people who deal with the asylum adjudications are going to deal with the refugees. So there is no reason we should divert a single resource. I mean, from from whatever your perspective is, even from a liberal perspective, to electively bring in more people if we have to deal with the ones that we're confronted with coming in on their own at our border. That's a simple proposition. And number two, again, if you want to talk about leveraging Democrats to action, again, I kind of disagree as to what sort of action you really expect or want from Congress or need from Congress. 
But, you know, you want more funding for the wall. Military operations at the border, I think, are important. Certainly, ICE funding is important. The way to get that is by the president saying, you know what? I'm setting the refugee cap at zero. Totally at zero. Done. I don't know why he doesn't do that, but that determination is usually made end of August, early September. So that's something I'm going to write about this week. I want to start building the case, beating the drum for that. Set the refugee cap at zero. And watch the Democrats go nuts. Now, folks, one of the benefits of actually doing a shutoff, you know, aside from, you know, like shutting it off and solving the problem, is you change the narrative. See, if you let in the problems, I mean, again, you know, it is a travesty when you have cartels bring them in under the worst conditions. So what are you going to get? Right, let's face it. What are you going to get? You're going to get endless coverage about the migrants, their needs, their treatment. If you keep them out, then the narrative is, I'm keeping them out. Why? Well, because then you steer the discussion back to the needs of Americans. And that's how you're able to steer it back to criminal aliens. You know what I spoke about on Fox? how there's an unimaginable amount of avoidable crimes that are taking place. And the drugs and the gangs. That discussion needs to be had. And again, I'm really upset. I mean, some in ICE's uh, um, media shop are working with me. Others, it takes, you know, it's, it's hard. There are so many cases of egregious crimes every day, people killed and by illegals, and we don't find out about it. And I have to feel like I'm bothering them to get out the information. I know some of you are sending me stories, and and I'm thankful for it because I wouldn't see them otherwise in your local area where you suspect. And and, and this thing, we don't know. You see a Hispanic-sounding name. You see drunk driving. Well, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Daniel, you're racist. I always tell them I'm actually not because, if anything, I'm being more charitable by – you know, having a suspicion automatically that they're here illegally because I'm not asserting that, oh, if you're of that ilk, you're more likely to, to be a drunk driver. I'm going to say, no, if you are, it's more likely you're an illegal alien because, you know, you live a lawless lifestyle. But anyway, it's so hard. They don't put out the information because, you know, gosh, we just don't have good leadership. Now, to be fair, ICE really doesn't have a lot of money, and they have a fraction of the media shop that CBP has. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to, to, to help them with PR. I'm doing it, but they got to work with me. But then, then there's another issue. There's another issue here. I want to read to you a story that just came out from Breitbart, Texas. Good for these guys for for getting this story. It's an important story. New Mexico police chief closed border checkpoints, causing more murders. The police chief of Las Cruces, New Mexico, blames the closure of inland border security checkpoints for an increase in homicides and other crimes in his community. 
Border Patrol officials in the El Paso sector closed inland border security checkpoints earlier this year in order to move more agents to the front line to help apprehend and process the massive numbers of migrants crossing into New Mexico and West Texas. Las Cruces Police Chief Patrick Gallagher told local news outlets this is par- partially to blame for a recent increase in homicide and shootings. KVIA ABC7 reported. The local ABC affiliates reports that Doña Ana County experienced seven fatal shootings in the past six weeks. Five of those occurred within the city limits and two others in the county's jurisdiction. Law enforcement officials told the reporter that most of these are drug-related offenses. The increases in violence in Las Cruces and the other and the increase in shooting incidents we are concerned about. We are concerned by it, Chief Gallagher explained. There were five homicides in June alone. Four of them were narcotics-related. Doniana County Sheriff Kim Stewart said he believes the closed checkpoints are sending out the message that there's a little bit more freedom to move about, to be emboldened. With asylum seekers coming to the border and throwing up their hands to every border agent, they can see... The cartel is very is a very active observer. The sheriff continued. So there you have it, folks. There you have it. Very simple. You know, it's not hard to stand before the American people and say. Even if the Constitution said you have to let everyone in, if it empowers cartels to do this to us, you can't do it. That's why the messaging of a shutoff makes so much sense. So maybe we'll try to do a follow-up article on what Breitbart put out. But I think that's, that's really important. So... I don't know. Is this so hard to message? Am I missing something? No, really. I mean, tell me. Tell me if I'm missing something. Is this so hard to give across, to to get across to people? So we got that going on there. And then there's the whole New York Times report everyone's passing around that Mexican opium prices plummet, driving poppy farmers to migrate. The drop in prices is leading poppy farmers to seek work in the United States. It's too funny. Why do you think the prices dropped? The cartels have more money and more ability to produce this stuff than ever before. It's such a joke. This is where the entire crisis is coming from, the fentanyl crisis. It's all the border. Yeah, once again... We treat it all as healthcare. It was very sad. I have um, a friend of mine who was diagnosed nine years ago with um, an incurable type of prostate cancer that typically they give you 18 months to live. He toughened, he, he just, I mean, tough as nails, fought it for nine years, nine years. And um, just unbelievable, one experimental thing after another, and it kind of worked, and really, you know, until it didn't, and then the next one, the next one, and each thing took away a different quality of life, until really the last two years, pretty much, he's just been bedridden, still as alert as anything, um, 
you know, and then the, and this past week they pretty much, you know, started hospice and they, they stopped treatment and I visited him over the weekend and, you know, he just, just wanted someone to talk to him. We, we talked a little bit and somehow we got into the painkillers cause you know, he's, he's obviously on a lot of them now. Look, someone with terminal cancer, so yeah, I mean, they're not yet clamping down on them, but still, you know, his wife has to go jump through a bunch of hoops and go far to get the stuff directly from the hospital. And it's like, dude, these people are not the ones overdosing. It has nothing to do with anything. But why is government doing this? They're doing it because they don't want to speak the truth about the source of the drug crisis. It's the border But more important, it's the criminal alien networks that come here between the ports of entry. Not just the drugs themselves. Drugs don't produce and traffic themselves. It's the criminal alien networks that would be gone tomorrow if we clamped down on sanctuary cities and had a modicum of interior enforcement. These are all the things the president needs to deal with. Now look, as time goes on, next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about all of the opportunities the president's going to have with the budget bill. And it's not just immigration. Watch for them to increase spending, to get rid of the budget caps once again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the type of problem we're going to have. All because we've gone for over a year when this could have been nipped in the bud because there's buffoons in this administration. The lawyers are worse than under Obama. We have a comatose movement. So look, if Fox news is willing to have me on, I'll come on. Hats off to them for at least willing to, you know, do that (laughs) despite the number of times I've bashed them publicly. But you know what? Now the president himself is bashing them. So that's the thing. I need you guys to continue to pass this around. We're going to have a reboot of this show, hopefully later this month. A lot of you have asked for video. I don't know why in the world you want to see me on video. I hate video, but you know, you ask and you shall receive. We will have a video component of the show. We're still working that out because we got to get this out. To me, that's the most important thing. It's not about me. I'm actually kind of a shy guy. I don't like, you know, having my face all around the place. But, you know, if no one else is going to get the message out, we got to do it. We have a country to save. And time is very short. We're more than halfway through this year. And you know what? There is no next time. The president is already tweeting about, oh, yeah, you know, Republicans going to get done. The majority was too slim in the Senate. So he's already setting himself up for exactly what I warned you about. Even if he wins re-election, even if Republicans win back the House, well, you know, it's hard to game out the Senate map, but they're going to have roughly the same number of seats they have today. Certainly going to be nowhere near um, 60. And dude, if you don't change your game and use all the aforementioned leverage points I talked about, and certainly, as we talked about a lot last week and two weeks ago, if you're going to agree to the notion that any district judge could shut you down, well then, yeah, I mean, you're done. There's no point running for re-election. 
I mean, just today, the DOJ lawyers are constantly going in and out of the court in Greenbelt, Maryland. One random, I forget his name, one random Maryland federal judge supervises the entire notion of asking a citizenship question on the census for the entire country. Somehow he is picked because any random person could get standing on something that is not an individualized issue. We're going to talk about this hopefully tomorrow with the Obamacare case before the Fifth Circuit to explain what is what truly is an individual case and what is a broad political question. Somehow these random groups could pick a Maryland judge and he... Are, are you kidding me? That's, again, another issue that is... Uh, this cab driver that I was um, in the car with, he also was like, I don't understand this business of any judge being able to do this. It's common sense. You know, sometimes certain things in politics might be nuanced and you have to know the law and policy to really get. But most of what's going on, the prima facie, the, you know, the simple observation of any average voter would benefit our policy prescriptions. I don't know what world these people are living in who give the president advice that somehow to do this is suicide. But I'll tell you this much, if they continue on the current path, it is suicide. Now, I know the president's approval rating, you know, was uh, it's being touted as the highest ever, but, you know, then they go to the lowest ever, the highest ever, it keeps going back and forth. I don't know why, because nothing really changed. You know, the economy has been good generally. I would say probably the only difference is that the Democrats have been publicly showcased now for the presidential candidates and people see how nutty they are. And again, I have no doubt that the president has a good chance of getting reelected just on by virtue of the Democrats being so insane. But use that as a wedge to get your stuff done, not just get across the finish line to get elected so you could continue their policies. Oh, but it's not this bad policy. They would do even worse and continue to drag that Overton window to the left to continue to acculturate and acclimate us to a new normal, whether it's on spending, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on health care. That seems to be sane because they want to do something even more insane. No, it's time to reset the baseline on all these issues. And that's our job here. That is our challenge in this generation. By golly, if you give me the opportunity by continuing to support us here, we are certainly up for the task. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening. God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 